the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The king invites everyone to the feast. In the final call to the marriage feast, there is no distinction made between good and evil people, like we often do, and we judge people. God invites everyone to come, the good and the bad, because he loves them all. The king invites everyone to the feast. In the final call that is Pastor to the marriage Michael feast, there's no distinction made between this good and evil people. This is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We would love to see you there. And we will have details on that as we continue on with today's program. You can also watch the live stream every Saturday at 11 o'clock at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Pastor Mike today brings you the conclusion to the Kingdom Feast and the King's Robe. We hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Hippolytus, church father in his treatise on the Antichrist, got Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 perfect. I'm not sharing with you anything new that those early Christians didn't teach. They were anticipating a divided Roman Empire symbolized by the ten toes and the ten horns, followed by democracies at the time of the end, And they had it right. Sir Isaac Newton affirmed Hippolytus' understanding, his great commentary on the book of Daniel. It would behoove us to pay attention to the father of modern science, to those who bore witness to the early apostolic understanding of prophecy at the time of the end. Now, Jesus gets all of Daniel right in one verse. That's the brilliance of the Son of God. Look at verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country, to receive a kingdom and then return. That's Daniel stuff. That's Daniel 2, you know, the mountain. That's Daniel 7, Christ receiving the kingdom. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days in heaven and he receives his kingdom from his Father, the Ancient of Days. You see, that far off country is heaven. Christ ascended to heaven after he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he hasn't come back because he has to yet receive his kingdom in heaven. And it says when he receives his kingdom, then he will return. That means he doesn't receive his kingdom soon. It takes time for him to receive his kingdom. And that happens near the end of the world, just at the end of the Middle Ages, implied in Daniel and here also affirmed. That is why Jesus called this the kingdom of heaven. The judgment in Daniel 7 is pictured as a marriage of Jesus to his people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. They will be put together as God's kingdom for all time because of Jesus and the love of the Father. Friend, when Jesus receives the kingdom of Daniel 7, he will be married to his people forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that cool? To be a part of something like that. How does Jesus marry his kingdom in the heavenly judgment? Some people have asked this question. It's a good one to ask. I will inform you from Scripture that Jesus does it one name, one person at a time. 
It is a personal wedding commitment that forms the fifth great kingdom. One name at a time is confessed before the Father and His holy angels. Look at Revelation 3 verse 5. This is a direct allusion to Daniel 7 where you have books open, you have angels and God the Father and Christ present, but we're not there. It's a proxy judgment in Daniel 7. He represents us in the judgment. Now, can you think of a place where Christ took your place? Answer that for me. Where did Christ take your place? On the cross of Calvary. Do you realize the book of Daniel tells us that Christ takes your place in the judgment also? That based on the cross, the one who died for you will go to the judgment for you. So we are to cooperate with him as our great high priest. Revelation 3, 5, he who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. He like that. I what? Will not blot his name out of the book of life. If you don't have the white robe, you can get it blotted out. But guess what? It's a gift. So if, if you work God's program, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. And then here's the good part. I will confess his or her name before my Father and before his angels. That's beautiful. Just like a beautiful wedding ceremony. The judgment of Daniel 7 is the marriage judgment for the kingdom and the feast that follows the judgment follows the second coming of Jesus. Christ comes for his wife to take her to the marriage feast in his father's house. You say, wait a second, that's not how it works. Well, in our modern weddings, that's not how it works. But here's how a Jewish wedding worked in Jesus' day. The betrothal involved dancing under a white canopy, a hoopla, and there they betrothed each other, and technically they were together, but not technically married. It would have been considered divorce at the time of betrothal if they'd broken up or after. But they didn't consummate the marriage. There was a time in which they got to know each other. They were able to communicate. You know, the Bible says that when you increase physical affection, your communication goes down. And so this was preserved in the way they would have a courtship, but they would wait for the consummation of the marriage. Now, how it works is that at some point, the groom would leave the bride and go to his father's house. And this is real romantic. In his father's house, the groom would get married to his bride and she would not be there. How would you like a wedding like that? No hands are going up. Well, this is a Jewish wedding. And so there he would get married to his wife who was still waiting, wondering where he went. And once they got married in his father's house, he would then surprise everybody back at the bride's house by coming in a procession, a marriage procession, suddenly, sometimes at midnight. Wake everybody up. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And they would go and scoop up his bride with all the dancing, the marvelous singing, holy things that were occurring. And then they would go, not to her house or his house, but back to the father's house. In this procession away from her house. And in the father's house, they would have the marriage supper. And once they had the marriage supper, then they went to the groom's house, and they had to live with each other for the rest of their lives. Now that's how it works. Christ went away in that far off country to get married to his bride, to receive his kingdom in heaven at the time of the end. And once that occurs, he comes suddenly but gloriously to receive his bride. 
Then he takes us to heaven to be in his father's house for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the book of Revelation says a thousand years later, at the end of the millennium, the holy city comes down with Christ in it and God the Father in it. And God's going to make his home here on earth and we will live together forever and ever and ever in a recreated earth. And so we should pay attention to the little things in Scripture which inform us of the big themes. Friend, Jesus comes for his wife to take her to the marriage feast. He doesn't elope with a secret rapture. He comes gloriously. Revelation 19 and 7 and 11. Let's just look at this. I like the verses 7 and 11. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now go down to verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So Christ is coming to take us to the marriage supper. He's looking for the white robe. There's so much information in the first part of the kingdom parable in Matthew 22. Let's go back to verses 1 and 3 and work through the parable. We have the context for it now. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast. And then notice the sad language, but they would not come. Hmm. In the parable... The feast is for the Son and no one else. No one else. The kingdom feast belongs to Jesus Christ as honored by His Father. It is His feast. It honors Him because the Father King loves the Son. In the parable, the King makes the feast. That means the King sets it in order for all the guests. It's not prepared by the King's guests or even the Son. It is prepared by the King. It is His work, His feast for His Son. It represents His grace for the guests because of the love He has for His Son. Don't miss this point. That means the feast was always His plan and no one else's plan but His because of the love He has for His Son. In verse 3, the king sends his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast. The Greek uses a perfect verb in verse 3 to describe the invitation. Literally, it reads, he sent his servants to call those who had already been invited to the marriage feast. And that's an amazing insight here. Friend, the first call in this parable is not given to unbelievers. The first call comes to those who have known the truth, who've already been invited to the feast. It comes to those who have heard and there's a marriage feast to come to. It comes to people with the knowledge of the king and of the son. It comes to Advent believers who have every opportunity to understand the prophecies and the gospel and to be aware of the king's call. It comes to Christians who don't care but need to be reminded of the call. In fact, it comes to Christians who have had every opportunity at the end of time to respond to the invitation because they've already known of the call, but they don't respond. It comes to those already called. Friend, we live in a Christian era where we have every opportunity to know what's happening, what's coming on the world. The king sends his servants because the king in love wants his people who have had great opportunities to attend his feast for his son. Sadly, verse 3 ends by saying they would not come. So what does the king do when his guests who have already received an invitation and yet will not come? What does he do? Look in verse 4. The king calls them again. I mean, the king wants them to come. In Matthew 22, 4, a good king says, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited. 
Behold, I have made ready my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the marriage feast. Verse 4 says plainly, everything has been made ready. You know, sometimes we wonder if our lives are good enough. You realize in Christ that they will be good enough. God prepares you for the future. He takes the responsibility if you walk with him. The Greek is a perfect verb. Everything has already been prepared and made ready. God invites his people at the end of time to a feast that is not based on their achievements. It is not the fruit of their good works. It's not made ready because they are good or bad people. It is made ready only because the king has made it ready. He has done so. It is ready only because he has taken the initiative to make sure that everything is in place for his guests. The only way to get to the feast is to accept the invitation to come to the feast. That's the critical point of the parable. The call goes out, what do you do with it? The response to the invitation is the critical focus in the parable. Look at Matthew 22, verse 5. But they made light of it, and they went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. Verse 5 sadly reads that they made light of it. Now, when you make light of the king's call, you're making light of the king. Here are end-time believers, an unconverted remnant, who don't value the invitation to come to the feast. And more profoundly, they are hostile to the invitation to come. They hate the prophecy of the call. For some reason, they're hardened to the very thing they should be soft and hopeful for. The Greek uses the verb amaleo, which literally means to neglect. They didn't make the invitation a priority in their personal lives. Other things were more important than the king's offer to come. I'm going to make this statement. It is a principle that those who neglect the call will in time persecute those who give the call. Don't think that you can be neutral as a Seventh-day Adventist believer. If you neglect the opportunities you have in time, you will persecute those who are faithful to God. You cannot be neutral at the time of the end. They seized the servants the second time. They treated them shamefully and they killed them. Notice the king's response in verse 7. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now what is it that makes someone worthy for the kingdom feast? I'll ask some questions. Is it your pedigree? You know, my father was a pastor and my great-great-grandfather started this piece of work somewhere else in the world. Is it your social status? Well, I've got enough money and education. I've worked my way up the Adventist ladder to where I feel like I can get a job and know the right people politically connected. Is it success? Well, I've pastored six churches. I've done this, that, and so on. Is it church membership? I signed up. Is it that? In this parable, a guest is worthy only because they have responded to the king's call to come to the feast. It's very basic. No other factor is considered in the king's judgment on his guests. Those who come are those who are worthy. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. 
Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Those who refuse are not worthy. Of course, they must come in the way the king asks them to come. It is our response to the kindness of the king that makes us fit for the feast in the mind of the king. This truth becomes a little clearer in verses 9 to 10. Look at verse 9. Go, therefore, to the thoroughfares and invite to the marriage feast as many as you find. Now, the Greek word for street indicates a street that is a main highway on the outside of the city. The city represents those on the inside. The thoroughfare describes the place where the people who are coming to the city are leaving the city. And so it's not the city itself. It does not describe people who live in the city. So these are outsiders here. Verse 10. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found. And I like this part. Both bad and good. How do you like that? So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Some people say, well, I'm too bad to be saved. Notice the call is for both the bad and the good. I like the way the Bible says it. They invited all whom they found. Both bad and good. This last call to this planet, friend is an evangelistic call that goes to every single person who will hear it because God loves every single person. He loves them more than whole worlds and galaxies. No prejudice on God's part will cause anyone to be lost or left out. The king invites everyone to the feast. In the final call to the marriage feast, there is no distinction made between good and evil people like we often do and we judge people. God invites everyone to come, the good and the bad, because he loves them all. He wants to honor his son. In verses 11 and 12, we have a picture of the final judgment. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now he's showing here in the parable something that really won't happen. But he's showing the absurdity of admitting someone to the wedding who doesn't have a garment. Now, what does the garment represent in Jesus' story? In the context, the garment represents the guest's recognition and the guest's acceptance of the king's invitation and the king's preparation. It is the outward evidence that the guests have responded to the call in sincerity as it was sent by the king. And the preparation has already been made by the king. It responds to something that has been given to them. It is the recognition that they are satisfied with the king's invitation, with his preparation, with the robe that is given by the king for everyone who will attend the feast. It is the recognition that they are not ashamed of the king's preparation, his son, and his planning. It is the recognition that they believe the king when he said, everything has been made ready. So they come to the marriage feast the king's way, not their way. The gift of the marriage robe, friend, represents the righteousness that comes by faith in the king. That is a gift. It cannot be achieved. It is received. It cannot be earned. It must be welcomed. Look at Isaiah 61, verse 10. The great gospel prophet says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me. He has clothed me. With the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see, that's how God does it. In love, because of the wedding, he gives you this robe. The text says he has covered me with the garments of righteousness. That means the robe is his gift, and it comes from the king in his way. 
Isaiah says God's gift is the basis of our rejoicing. We don't rejoice because we feel good, we do a lot of good things, we achieve things. We rejoice because God loves us. God forgives us. God accepts us in Jesus by faith in his name. In the Bible, the way and the judgment are the same event. Same event. So the wedding is the judgment. The pre-advent investigative judgment. I don't know why people don't teach the investigative judgment the right way. From the parables of Jesus Christ, which would draw us into a faith relationship with him to obey for the right reasons. Because of the king, the judgment for the guests is not some fearful day to dread. Rather, it is a marriage with a festival and a celebration of the king's righteousness and the king's gift of a white robe that will honor his son, Jesus Christ. It is a joyful event. So what happens to the believer who stands in the judgment without the righteousness of Jesus Christ? That's an important question. Look at Matthew twenty-two thirteen in the parable. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, There men will weep and gnash their teeth, for many are called, but a few are chosen. You see, the investigative judgment is not about how perfect you are or aren't. That's nonsense stuff. The investigative judgment is about what you have done with Jesus in your life. Have you clung to Jesus as your right to righteousness in the judgment day? Is he your friend? Do you have his robe? Do you put your faith in him and not in yourself? That's what they're looking for. In this judgment, it says bind him hand and foot. It means to handcuff him, handcuff his feet also and throw him out of the kingdom because the white robe matters to the king because the feast is for his son. Two thousand years ago, friend, Jesus left the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light to save us from our law breaking. He turned his back on his father's kingdom. He suffered in agony at the cross so we could find the king again and receive a white robe that doesn't have one thread of human devising that is the gift of the king. Jesus took our cancer and our law breaking into him at the cross so we could experience the king's forgiveness and healing, his pardon. At the cross and every day of our lives, Jesus absorbed our shame so we could receive his kingdom kind of righteousness and kindness. Jesus was handcuffed and arrested and beaten and taken away to die so we could be set free. The handcuffs could be taken off of us. We would no longer live in fear of the condemnation of the law. That as sinners in a right relationship with God, we could learn to obey. We could have the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, God is with us at every step of our recovery. He accepts you at the beginning of your recovery. Because Jesus has dealt with every single offense and every sin that you and I have ever committed. That's why he sat down at the right hand of God in the book of Hebrews when he ascended on high. He got it done. Friend, when you are overcome with guilt, because you've broken the law, how many of you have ever been overcome with guilt in your life? I have. Christ has overcome your guilt and your sin and your law breaking at the cross for you. And when you feel arrested by evil, Jesus holds the key for the cuffs to set you free. When you lose your way, he finds you on the way. When you need a new tag that says you're okay with the law, he gives you this robe of righteousness, the new tag that says you're okay with the law. It is his robe, not yours. It's God's gift, not your achievement. And when you falter on the way, he never fails as he leads the way home to his father king. 
In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come to us with a right now righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day. I say hallelujah to our God for this. We have a Savior in the judgment who will uncuff us and let us go because of the King's verdict at the cross and the white robe that is His Father's gift for us at the cross. Friend, dear heart, friend, there is a kingdom feast at the marriage of the Lamb at the end of the age. The King says, come. The kingdom feast has already been prepared for my Son and all the guests. Receive my white robe as a gift from me, the King and my Son, and come. Come to the kingdom feast with the King's robe and live forever and ever and ever and ever and laugh and dance and rejoice in the light, in the kingdom of God, in the never-ending land, the never-ending kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of God. Father, I'm not the only one here who has struggled in this COVID crisis with challenges in my life. I'm sure others have too. In my walk with you, I'm reminded of how I can fail you. Yet I'm grateful you never do. Lord, I want to recommit my life to you, not because I have the power to commit it, because I ask you to take it and work in it. As I raise my hand to heaven right now, I'm saying that, Lord, I need Jesus renewed in me today. Thank you for the word of God. If there's anyone who wants to join me, wants to say, it's me too, you know. Just raise your hand to God right now. My eyes are closed. Heaven sees it. Father, we want to go home. Thank you for the robe. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for acceptance in his name. May we be conquerors, not because we're good people, but because of the call and the king and the son. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Just a reminder that you can find today's message online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. We just brought you the conclusion to the Kingdom Feast and the King's Row. Thanks for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road. Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.